Okay, good morning, ladies. It's nice to hear everybody chit-chatting it up. Um, today we are looking at Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And I just want to say something before we get started here. I don't know about you, but um, the timing of the Beatitudes and everything that's happening right now has been, it's been a super treasure to have these Beatitudes. I have been praying for wisdom for a lot of stuff in my life lately. And um, I talked to Marsha about how this is just like taking the fuzz off my eyes. Like everything is now making sense. I can see the Beatitudes in different areas of scripture. I can see how um, God is working to peel back what it means to be, you know, a part of the kingdom for me and just put it in order. And I kind of feel like, um, you know, when you played a game for a long time and someone then gives you the rules, and then you're just like, oh, okay, makes sense. I didn't know you could do that. You understand the game. You play the game, you know, this, but just having the rules, and that's what this is for me. It's like a logical, it just really makes sense for me, and I'm really so appreciative. And um, last night I was on a walk and teaching to nobody, and my son Caleb was far ahead of me, and I'm just praying, you know, God, I just thank you for your scripture and the timing and everything, and and I wasn't thinking of this, but he said, um, or I, I felt, I felt the, the thought come to me, well, it's an answer to your prayer of wisdom. This is wisdom. This is what it means to be in my kingdom. And all things kind of, kind of spur out from there. You know, like I think if I am dealing with something in my life, I can look at the Beatitudes and be like, where are you working on me? You know, is it merciful? Is it mourning? Is it, you know, needing repentance? What, what's happening? So I just really appreciate it. And I hope it's, Moving like that for you guys, too, um, I kind of feel uh, happy about the fact that I've memorized a lot of scripture, because these are, you know, you can put it together. I sit in bed, and I'm like, okay, this is the order, and here's the reward, you know, just kind of thinking through it, and it's just just really life-changing, and I appreciate everybody being here. I pray, appreciate Justin back there, because there's people who don't feel comfortable. We hear from them that he's able to put it online for us and make it, you know, look better. <laughs> so this is good. I appreciate it. Um, before I pray, I want to look at your outlines. And yesterday, I kind of uh, messed up. And I sent out last week's outline, and then I sent out this week. So your outline should look like it should have the two blue, the two blue, um, you know what, you guys aren't affected. It'd be the people online, because you picked them up here. I had the right ones here. So if you're online, I'm sorry, your outline should have two blue squares in the front. So let's first answer this question, and then we're going to pray. So the, the question I propose is, if God were to ask you regarding your sin, do you want mercy or do you want justice? How would you respond? Mercy, kind of a dumb question, isn't it? But there's people who don't want God's mercy, and they're going to choose justice. And then what happens? There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be hurt. Okay, so what I want to get to the point of this is that we want mercy. That's what we want. Everybody in this room wants God's mercy. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. I thank you, God, for your scripture and how you're opening it up for us. I just thank you for this time together. I thank you for people who help us out to make this happen. Thank you for the ladies that come and the ladies that are online. And I just pray that today as I teach, it would be your words and, and how you want merciful explained and how um, you just want to 
learn, Lord. And I, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would be on me and be with us as we encourage each other and um, discuss this further weeks ahead, Lord. And I ask. So today, like I said, Matthew 5, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. We definitely want the last half of the beatitude. We want to be shown mercy. And God has shown us mercy, and he does show us mercy every day. And our focus is today, mercy, which is a huge topic. So I'm kind of going to narrow it down to the specifics. What is mercy? What does it um, mean for me to be merciful? And the inner, tween, the inner weaving of mercy, grace, and forgiveness, because they all kind of go together. So we're going to kind of, that's the three things we're going to look at today. And where we start every week with the Beatitudes is we have to look back, right? Because we do not take the Beatitudes in isolation. We do not just jump to merciful because we had a starting out point. And I want you to notice how it's going to change now. So the first four Beatitudes were about that inward. What, what do I need as a Christian? I need God. I need to look at my sin. I need to submit to God. I need to crave and want his holiness and his righteousness. Now these next four you're going to see are kind of the fruit. So what happens? Now we have this relationship with God, and now how are we going to be the hands and feet? How are we going to now bear fruit in the kingdom? And then that's what you're going to notice. So we've, we're kind of at a turning point now. Um, and... Um, we first had the recognizing of poverty of spirit, our need for God. We saw ourselves with mourning and, and our sins before a holy God. And then we went to meekness, where we're submitting to his will and to his word and letting his strength work in us for the kingdom. And then we empty ourselves of our will, and then we need to be filled. And that's that hunger and thirsting for his righteousness. And I, I read this quote from Jennifer Kennedy, and it said, to live the joyful condition of life, so that's the Beatitudes, is to be so full of Christ that we are not held by our circumstances. And I just, I really can appreciate that because um, it's going to be an overflow of what's inside, right? And that's what mercy is. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. So because we've seen where we've come from, we've seen our own poverty, we've seen our need for mercy, we've seen our sin, we've seen that we need to empty ourselves, we can now then go to mercy. We can give other people mercy, and then in return we get mercy. And mercy and compassion are who Jesus is. And being filled with him and his righteousness, you're going to start to see in your walk, whether you've seen it now or it's going to be something God is working on within you, is that you will start to yield to that and it'll start to be a natural response. You'll start to see how mercy is going to come out within. So let's look at our outlines and what is mercy. Again, referring back to Jennifer Kennedy Dean, she had, I looked in so much to try to get um, something that I thought I could understand myself, and that I could say, what is mercy? And she says this, and you can write this down, mercy acts. It is love compelled into action. It's more than a feeling, more than an attitude or an outlook. Mercy is compassion that is driven to rescue and defend. So mercy is, yes, compassion, but then it goes further. It does something about it. And the best example of this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
And if you remember, that's when the experts of the law were testing Jesus on what it means to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says to love God and love your neighbor. And I want you to think about that just real quick. Think about the Beatitudes. Love God, love your neighbor. The first four are about your relationship with God. The last four are about love your neighbor. Do you see what I mean when I say I look at scripture and I can relate it very it just is so profound when I think about that in terms of the beatitude. That, that was just a side note. But anyway, Jesus says to love God and love your neighbor. And then you recall the story. The man is left beaten and dead. He's been robbed and, and people are passing him by. And then along comes the, the Samaritan man. And it says in the scripture that he has compassion or he has pity on the man. That alone is not mercy, it's what he does next. He has the compassion and just driven him to do something. So what does he do? He bandages his wounds. He um, brings the man to the inn. He stays and cares for him, and then he pays for it, and um, he asks the innkeeper to look after him as he parts. And then the experts of the law then recognize that the neighbor is the man who had mercy. So this is just a quick, easy, what does it mean to have mercy, it means you're compassionate towards something. It's you have pity on it, but then you do something about it. Okay, and then Jesus at the end of that parable says, "Go and do likewise. Have mercy. That's what He wants from us." Um, another way to look at mercy, if you look at the two boxes here, um, mercy comes from God's compassion. So it comes from God's compassion, and it withholds what we do deserve. It looks at the misery of sin, and it says, that's hard, and I have compassion on you, and it leads to forgiveness. Okay, so it withholds what we do deserve, where grace is a gift, and it comes from God's favor. And it's getting what we don't deserve. So mercy is withholding what we do deserve, and grace is getting what we don't deserve. G, grace, G, gift. Think of it like that, the Gs. An example would be eternal life, reconciliation. That's a gift. And it deals with men in the sin. Now, it's interesting in the Beatitudes, because we've talked about so much how these are logical. These are in a logical order. It starts with the need for God, and then it progresses. And now we're going to talk about how we can be the hands and feet of the kingdom, how we can produce fruit for other people. It's interesting that merciful was the first one. But in order to understand that, you've got to look at the character of God. So under there, I wrote character of God, and then there's a whole list of different spots where this all says the same thing. And I'm not going to go through all of it, but I want you to realize that it all says the same thing. This is who God is. Um, right now, the, the scripture we're going to look at is Exodus 34, 6. And this is when um, Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he's about to get the Ten Commandments. You know, God has already said to Moses, I am. He's already said his name, I am. And now he's going to share with Moses, like, who he is, who who his personality is. And this is what he says. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. 
So this is mercy. You can see in the first part, compassion and graciousness of God leads to what? The forgiving of wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And this is what Jesus taught, or this is what Moses taught. After he learned that, he shared that with people. And then all throughout scripture, you can look this up later, these different, um, these different um, scripture references I've given you, it says that same thing. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebelling, and sin. So we're starting with merciful because that's who God is. God is merciful. And what is the greatest example of his mercy? Very simply. What was that? Him giving us Jesus. That was God's act of mercy. He saw us in our shame and our pitifulness, what the ramifications of sin was, and then he had the compassion, and then he did something, right? He gave us Jesus. So he sees the suffering, despite the fact that the law was broken. We deserve punishment, but instead he gives us Jesus to deal with our condition. And then in Titus 3, 5, it says, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteousness things we had done, but because of mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So since we have been loved and treated with mercy, we are then called to what? Do the same. Be merciful. It says it all over, all over in Scripture. It's our calling. So because we're image bearers, he wants us to be like him. The goal is that we would be followers of Christ, be like him. Christ is mercy. I can't, I couldn't, it was so hard to like break down scripture and to like pick four merciful things, you know, and, and there's just so much. It's so filled with mercy that it's hard, but that's what we're called to do in that example of what Jesus has done. And every day, we have new mercies, Lamentations 3, every day. And because of our blessing, we are then called to be that blessing upon other people. Matthew 9, 13 says, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. And this is paired around the context of this is when the, um, they're trying to say, you know, we're so good, we do all these things, and da-da-da, and Jesus is like, I desire mercy. They're questioning him, why are you hanging around with sinners? But he's like, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You know, the idea of, I don't want your perfection, I don't want your religious, ta-da, I want to see action, I want to see your compassion for the sinners, and I want you to do something about it. So that's what Jesus is saying, I desire mercy, and not sacrifice. And then um, Micah 6, 8 says, And what does the Lord require of you? The answer, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And then again, example of Luke 6, 36 says, Be merciful just as your father was merciful. Is merciful, just as your father is merciful. So there's no doubt Besides the beatitude, all throughout scripture, old and new, we are to be merciful to other people. And Jesus is the face of God's mercy. He's the ultimate example. His merciful heart is in us. 
The kingdom is in us, and on our faith journey, we're to be working this out. He's going to be working this out. As we yield to him, it will start to be that natural response of, I want to have compassion for other people, and then do something about it. Don't just leave it as compassion, but then do something. The reference there in Hebrews 2.17 about the merciful high priest is, is Jesus. And the plan is, and it says, he became human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest to serve in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So Jesus is the face of God's mercy. That was the plan, that he would come down, he would understand how hard it is and then be merciful. And boy, was he ever merciful. We're taught Jesus, the man of mercy, that, will have a joyful, that we will have a joyful condition of life and reap more mercy when we behave like this. And I want to look at this chart here because um, it shows exactly the unending mercies. And like I said, it was hard to narrow it down, but I think these are areas where we can be merciful, we can be the arms and feet of Jesus, and we can learn from what he did. So let's look at this. The first one there is mercies for judgment. And the, the Bible reference that I picked there is the adulterous woman. Do you remember how they were all going to line up? And the people who were to keep the law, the law says, if you have adulterous relations, you should what? be stoned to death. That was the law. And she broke the law. Yes, she did. But then what does Jesus do? He has compassion upon her. And he's teaching a lesson. Lots of things are happening, but he has compassion. He draws a line in the sand and says, if you are without sin, then you can throw a stone. And what do they do? We know. They all leave. And then he turns to her and says, where did they go? They couldn't throw a stone, right? So that's mercy in action. So then you think about, well, how can I be merciful? When you look at people who do things that are wrong, to not go and start throwing stones at them, but to remember where you came from, where you came from before God. You know, think of the Beatitudes, mourning for, you know, your sins. And that would withhold you then from throwing the stone. And that's mercy. And then in James 2.13, it says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, merciful triumphs over judgment. And there again, it's another situation where they're saying, you have been shown mercy, you need to be merciful, and it will continue to flow. Then you'll get mercy. You know, that continuing path of flowing, the flowing of mercy. Now, we know that Jesus did not think adultery was no big deal. In fact, he tells her to leave, leave your life of sin but he's highlighting compassion to not forget your own sin in light of somebody else's sin. The next one I want to look at is lost. So this is the Bible reference, Matthew 9, 35 to 37. And that's when Jesus went through the towns, healing the sick and the disease and spreading the good news. And it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a shepherd without a sheep. So think about the compassion part Jesus is trying to have here. What happens to a shepherd or a sheep without shepherd? What happens? They're lost in what has potential. 
the wolf, the wolf to come and tear down. So when you think about people that are lost, instead of, um, you know, being frustrated or put off by them or annoyed maybe, think about Satan holding on to their ankles. Think about that picture and think, it's hard to be in that situation. It's hard to have no understanding. It's hard to not understand the good news and have no concept of it. And so instead then, you would go out and you would talk to them or you would pray for them or you would do something. It wouldn't, it wouldn't your automatic natural reaction should not be, oh, they're lost, I'm sick of them. Sick of it, it's too much. Your reaction would be to pray How can you intervene? What can you do? Not just have compassion, but then do something, whether that's prayer, talking, whatever it might be. Just being a witness of graciousness towards them. Right, that we were once lost too. It all starts with that first foundation of, I need you, God, and I mourn for my It's understanding yourself and then being able to give mercy to others. The next one I want to talk about is doubting. And this is a reference, John 20 to 24. Remember Thomas, he was in doubt. So he was a disciple. He came back, couldn't believe it. I won't believe it, he said. I won't believe it until I'm able to touch the hands and and, and the, um, the scars Now, Jesus could have been like, I've been with you for so long. I've dead and come back. And now this, you know, and we could too tend to get people who are in their faith. Like um, I had someone come up and start talking to me about their doubts. And that's hard to hear because, you know, they know, but they're doubting. And so Jesus in mercy and compassion said, touch then, touch and understand. And then he blessed those who don't even get to do that which would be us, right? In Jude one twenty two, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. And that scripture is revolved around, interesting enough, if you have time to go look at it today, it's talking about end times, that things are going to get real ugly and people are going to start to doubt. And so your witness should be to have grace and compassion, but then there's people who you also need to snatch up. You need to be a little bit more forceful than that. So that was interesting in, in, in light of everything that's chaos right now. The next one is the outcast. And I picked this because we're so familiar with it. And this is John 4, which is the Samaritan woman. Remember, they would go out of their way to avoid walking that path. But Jesus knew her, knew her situation. She had to hide herself at noon, the noon hour. He went out of his way to go and talk to her about the good news, talk to her about everything. He had compassion on her. And then he says to his disciples, after this whole thing takes place, do you remember? He talks to her about he's the living water and about who he is. And um, she runs and tells everybody, and then the disciples come back, why are you talking to her? That type of thing. And he says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So what can we learn in mercy in that? Well, we can think, Sometimes we need to go out of our way to think about the outcast person and then our witness to be compassionate and gracious towards them. 
And this, um, this quote that I read from Jennifer Wilkin was this tonight, and I just love it. it you just got to think about it a minute. It says, rather than measure ourselves against the broken, you know, to think, well, I'm better than that, we should find ourselves remembering our lowly state before Christ and then offer them the cup of his love to their lips. So rather than measuring yourself against the broken, to really think about your own brokenness and pray for them, be compassionate and merciful towards them. Who do you know that needs Christ's touch, that needs his cup of love to his lips? I know we all know people. So the next one is hungry. And this is when Jesus healed the blind, the cripples, the mute, the mass crowds. And he says to his disciples, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days and they have not eaten. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Now, right before this, Jesus was about to go sit down on the mountain and have some quiet time. And that just resonated with me because it isn't always convenient to go out of your way and be merciful. It sometimes it takes, it takes God. So I want you to think about who is it that's hungry that you can feed? How can you minister in that way? How can you be merciful and, and not just look at the poor and say, that's sad, that's hard. What can you do? Because that's mercy, not just compassion, but then the doing. And the last one, um, I just got to check my time here. So the last one is forgiveness. And that's a big one. And I saved it for last because there's so much to say. And then also our author that we're following along with has some great questions that I want to talk about. So I actually want to read this portion of scripture because it, um, mercy encompasses forgiveness, right? So let's turn to Matthew 18 and find verse 21. So Matthew 18, verse 21 and this is the parable of the unmerciful servant. So as you're finding that in scripture, I just want to talk about the beginning part. This is when Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, do you remember Peter's kind of being like this? Because back in the day, the rabbis used to teach, you needed to forgive three times and that was it. So here's Peter being like, how about seven? How about three more plus one? Have I got it now? You know, that kind of like, you know, in that perfect number of seven that they reference. So you can just, you can just see Peter going up and being like, well, seven, look how good I am, you know? So Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Okay, now think of that in terms of us, right? We're the servants, the kingdom is heaven. There's a bigger story going on here. And he has begun the settlement. A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, um, anything that I read of cross-referencing in, in, in um, commentaries is that this was like 
a lot of money. This wasn't just peanuts. It was like uh, so much, okay? So if you think of our sins in that regard, it's so much, right? And we're begging for mercy. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which, again, is not much. Okay, so he's been forgiven this huge debt, and now he won't forgive someone who owes him peanuts compared to what his debt was. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. The same words he uttered. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now notice the from your heart. Words aren't going to do it. It needs to be from your heart, and you'll know because it won't eat at you anymore, right? You'll be able to come to terms with it. So from your heart there is important. So what do you think about this? What do you think about verses 34 and 35? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. What happens when we don't forgive people as Christians? What happens? It says, she's saying God doesn't forgive us. What happens inside of us? We're the ones that suffered. It's almost like a natural consequence. If you're not going to forgive, then you're going to internally feel that, that suffering. And not forgiving someone is a sin in of itself. Okay, so I want to open this up, and I want to dig a little bit deeper in this um, parable. And it looks like we are on page 37 in our books of the Beatitudes of John Stott here. I want to answer question 10 in light of this. And question 10 reads, How did the servant's behavior reveal his true attitude towards the master's forgiveness? He wasn't very grateful, and the evidence of that is in his unforgiveness. Quickly forgot that he had been forgiven. Right, he didn't value his forgiveness. He didn't understand the cost. The master was saying, don't even have to pay it back. It's forgiven. Yeah, like he had a sense of entitlement, like he deserved it. Maybe he really lessened his own mistakes. Maybe he didn't really understand his own mistakes, the gravity of what his sin actually costs. And that's what I'm thinking here for this, that forgiveness of others is evidence of our understanding of our own sin and the cost of what it costs Jesus. 
And if we withhold that, it's almost like we don't understand and we haven't really been touched. And I think it's really grievous in God's eyes or he wouldn't say things like, he's, like, like Jesus has pointed out in this parable. Forgiving other people truly and from your heart is very important. It's important for you and your relationship with God. Hugely important. And hearts that are, you know, I'm not talking someone come up and smack you upside the head and you're instantly like, not like a robot, but like truly forgiving and understanding like I was a sinner too and I understand the cost. And because of that, because of where I've been on my journey, I am then going to have mercy and, and release that to you as well. And I believe it's an act of God. I don't believe it's just today I'm forgiving. Because, you know, is that from the heart? I don't know. But this is tough scripture to think about. Because you want to always think it's just, you know, no consequences. It's just I'm always forgiven and there's no thought about it. But what we don't want is to put that relationship barrier between God and I because we're not forgiving somebody else. The other question I wanted to look at was um, question number 11. And it says, verse 35 seems cruel and hard to reconcile with the God of love. In what sense does this verse still reflect the character of a merciful God? What do you guys think? The verse he's referring to is, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. God is still just. We need to be learning along our path too. And if we haven't, you know, he wants us to come to a true repentance. And true repentance has evidence in how we treat other people. So it's merciful in that maybe something's not quite right with how you are perceiving what Jesus has done for you. Maybe you're not understanding the depths of your sin. Maybe you're not that mournful for your sins, you know? So it's mercy because it's bringing us back to the thought of we need to check ourselves and make sure Make sure we're truly forgiving from the heart. And it's merciful that he wouldn't just be like, hmm, we're done. You know? It reads there, the point of this parable is not that we merit mercy by mercy or forgiveness by forgiveness. The point is that we cannot receive mercy and forgiveness of God unless we repent, and we cannot claim to have repented of our sin if we are unmerciful towards the sins of others. Or interpreted in the context of the Beatitudes, it is the meek who are also the merciful. Because if you remember, the meek is understanding your true self before a righteous God, understanding that you're going to, um, you know who you are and that you need that forgiveness. It's, it's understanding. So for to be meek is to acknowledge to others that we are sinners. To be merciful is to have compassion on others, for they have sinned too. And then the last one I want to talk, last question I want to talk about is, how does the outcome of the servant's actions confirm the truth of Jesus' beatitude? 
And I think it comes back to evidence. Evidence that you understand, and then through God's will and his working, and you're able to give it to other people. Um, before we leave, I want to show you a video. I was um, at home with Carmen, and she likes to think about farms and things. So she really likes Amish people. I sometimes read Amish books, just interested, whatever. Um, they're not, they're just easy to read, and I don't have to worry if I'm making bad decisions, right? So I read these Amish books, and she knows, and we talk about it, and she sees it. And when Caleb was in lacrosse, we went past Amish all the time because you have to cross through an Amish community. And so the, the buggies would go by, and I'd be like, it's our Amish friends we read about. Like, who knows if it's even true? But she just is always like, I want to know more about Amish. So we were, um, I pulled up a movie that was based on a true story about a shooting that happened. And I don't remember it. It happened when I was younger. I, I Maybe was in Canada living and we didn't get news. But uh, you guys might remember it. But it is, um, it is fascinating, their idea of forgiveness and, and how we can learn from it. And um, I told Carmen I was going to show it because I, I try to teach my kids a Bible study without teaching them. So I'm like, we're talking about merciful, you know, that kind of thing. She goes, mom, you can't show that. Everyone's going to be bawling because we were bawling. She's like, you are a mess of tears, you know. So um, I said, don't worry, I'm showing at the end. So everyone can just leave and go happy cry. So we're going to watch this video. It is eight minutes. I'm going to warn you. So it's a little bit longer. So you can um, prep yourself for that. The Amish community of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, calls it The Happening. It took place on October 2, 2006, when the quiet village of Nickel Mines suffered one of America's most sickening mass shootings. A local milk truck driver named Charlie Roberts entered an Amish schoolhouse with an arsenal of weaponry. He let the boys and the teacher go, but tied up and then shot 10 girls, killing five of them and seriously wounding the other five, and then killed himself as police stormed the building. It was such a horrific event for this area, and for somebody to um, do that to Amish students who were known to be people that aren't acquainted with violence at all and very uh, peaceful people, so for that to happen in an Amish school was just unbelievable. Uh, nobody could believe it. These five small trees commemorate the five girls killed between the ages of seven and 13. A decade later, the ripple effect of their deaths has been felt not just among the Amish, but in the community at large as well. I would wake up and the, the tears would actually be streaming from my eyes before I had a conscious thought. Terry Roberts was among the many people affected forever by the killings. She's the mother of the killer, Charlie Roberts. Not Amish, but a devout Christian who raised her children to be Christian, too. On the day of the shootings, she believed her son might have gone to the school to help in some way and was worried he himself might have been shot by the killer. When I pulled in, the state trooper and my husband were standing right before me. And I looked at the trooper and I said, Is my son alive? No, ma'am. And then I looked at my husband and he said, it was Charlie. He killed those girls. Back at their own homes, still in shock, 
Terry and her husband Chuck had a visitor from among the Amish. All day long, my husband could not lift his head. And he would keep repeating, those poor women, those poor children, um, those poor, you know, the poor parents, the poor fathers. Uh, we will never be able to face our Amish neighbors again. But day one, a knock came on the door, and it was Henry, our Amish neighbor from across the street. Henry walked over to my husband and just started massaging his shoulders and says, Roberts, we love you. We don't hold anything against you. We want you as our neighbor. Since that day, Terry has had a special label for her neighbor. So I call Henry my angel in black. You know, the Amish wear all black garb, and, but he was my angel in black that day, just with his acceptance and his love and this message of forgiveness. Forgiveness and acceptance were amplified in the days that followed. There were massively attended funerals for the five dead girls. There was also, of course, a burial for Terry's son, the killer an event full of dread for the family as it inevitably attracted intense media attention. And then, the bereaved Amish parents turned up for the Roberts funeral. Walking on the grass over toward the area where our son would be buried, and just to see this procession of parents coming out and surrounding us was, uh, yeah, there just aren't words to describe. Um, it was a protective circle against all those media trucks out on the street, had their big telescoping lenses, and yet here we were. We, it just felt secure. The Amish are known for living apart from the modern world, shunning much technology, and rarely, if ever, publicizing their community's affairs. At Pennsylvania's Elizabethtown College, Donald Craybill studies Anabaptist faith groups, which include the Amish. News reporters would ask me, well, were the Amish prepared for this? Do they have emergency preparedness drills in their schools? Well, no, they don't, but they had forgiveness preparedness. They were ready to respond when events like this come. The Amish response at Nickel Mines was not robotic. It was quick, um, and that doesn't mean it was thoughtless, doesn't mean it was easy, but they knew it was the right thing to do. Amish forgiveness was seen as striking in the shooting's immediate aftermath, but it has also extended over time and taken very practical forms. Huge cash donations flooded in to help families of the murdered and injured children. Some of the money, though, was deliberately channeled by the Amish to the killer's widow and children. They decided to move away from the area. I spoke to a father who lost a daughter in the schoolhouse, and I said to him, I said, uh, Abner, I said, uh, how would you define forgiveness? Well, he said, for me, it's giving up my right to revenge. In Terry Roberts' case, Amish forgiveness has continued in a very tangible way, as she and her husband remained in the same home. It now has a sunroom, a gift from Amish builders. Wow, that really was so instrumental in my healing. Um, just to know that that love was poured out for us and to have such a room of contentment and peace and calm to come into every day. Peace and calm have become even more important now since Terry has cancer that is late stage and has taken over much of her body. But she has been more than a recipient of kindness from the Amish. She has held tea parties in this sunroom for local Amish women. And until the surviving girls and their friends grew up, there were often children's parties in her yard as well. 
She devotes special attention to one surviving but badly injured girl. Five of them survived, but Rosanna is still tube-fed and in a wheelchair. I went to Rosanna's house every week on Thursday nights, and I would rock her and sing to her and help bathe her. Um, she's 15 now, so I don't hold her anymore, <laughs> but um, she's a beautiful young woman. And uh, I, I feel tears in my eyes now because, yeah, it's just incredible that this child now comes to visit me. <laughs> and then she came again in December when all the families came in a yellow school bus and sang Christmas carols to me. At the local non-denominational worship center, there's been much reflection on the past decade, especially from its lead minister. Pastor Smucker says the population in general has benefited from this example of Amish grace. Everything is coming from a peaceful standpoint, and that's how they responded. It was, it was amazing, and the whole community saw that and in turn responded with them, so to speak. For the college chronicler of Amish life and belief, the Roberts family's singular experience has proved a powerful instance of healing compassion being driven by religious conviction. One Amish father told me the Roberts family had a much heavier burden than we did. They have to bear this, the shame and the stigma of this whole thing. We wanted to reach out to them because we uh, care about them. And for Terry Roberts herself, her life over the decades since the happening has led her to take stock deeply and afresh. Every day I wake up with a question of how many days do I have yet on this earth because of stage four cancer? I mean, this is nearly 10 years after the tragedy. And here I am. I am alive because of the response of the Amish, because of forgiveness. I believe so much light has been brought into such a dark place. For Religion and Ethics News Weekly, this is David Terestruk in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. If I have forgiveness preparedness, if I have mercy preparedness, and that's us coming to Bible study, that's us getting in the word, that's us being affected by Jesus's mercy to say, am I ready? Am I merciful? Work in me, Lord. Yield yourself to that. And it's just, um, I mean, they make a movie about it because it's so unusual. So let's us be unusual. Let's love like that. It's incredible. Okay, let's pray. Lord, again, we just come before you humbly and thank you in that you would just please work in us. Continue to work in us. Help us to show us where we can be merciful and then have the confidence to act upon it. I pray that you would guide us throughout this week and the weeks ahead, and, and may we never forget the Beatitudes. May we memorize it in our hearts and, and in our minds and just continue to come back to it as your gospel and the truth, Lord. And, and I just thank you for today and um, just heave blessings upon us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So next week, Marsha is going to be talking about the peer and heart. And so we'll see you next time. And, and if you are, um, if you want to share with Marsh and I, we'd love to know if the Beatitudes are having that impact on you. If, you, if you're, this is helpful if you're understanding things better because just, just talk to us and let us know. It's very encouraging and we're so encouraged in this. We hope it's coming across that way. Okay? 
Have a good week.